This is Occupied Territory America with Mike Fader. And this is Mike Fader. Occupied Territory America is broadcast every Thursday on PRN.FM at 2 p.m. <clears throat> if you want to comment on anything uh, you hear on this show or any other political issue that affects uh, what we generally talk about here, you can also make comments on uh, Occupied Territory. Go to Facebook. It's a Facebook page. I guess you have to be on Facebook. I'm not really sure. But it's called Occupied Territory and on Facebook. And I post things there probably every day or every other day, issues that uh, income inequality, NSA spying, what's going on in the world. So check that out every day. And you can post your comments uh, there. Uh, today <clears throat> we have um, in our ongoing um, examination of uh, government secrecy and lack of privacy in this country, we have uh, a guest, uh, Chase Badar, who is an attorney in New York and uh, the author of The Passion of Bradley Manning, the story behind the WikiLeaks whistleblower. And it's just out in a new expanded edition by Verso Books. And he is also currently blogging the Manning Court Martial for The Nation magazine. Hi. How are you doing, Mike? Okay. Uh, the article you wrote was on Tom Dispatch, right? Uh, how the dystopian secrecy contributes to clueless wars is a subtitle. But uh, in the first paragraph, you mentioned that um, the prosecution uh, will be pulling out. I don't know if this, they've done this already. You can tell me. They'll be, they'll be pulling out all the stops when it calls to the stand a member of Navy SEAL Team 6, the unit that assassinated Osama bin Laden. Have they done that already? No, they haven't done it yet. That'll be coming up later, I think, in a, in a few weeks court-martial, which started two and a half weeks ago, it's going to go oh, at least till the end of August, maybe the middle of September. So there's mm -hmm. still a lot of witnesses to come. Uh, and when the, the SEAL Team 6 member does get called to the stand, this will be in secret. Uh, oh, so really? There will be no, no media, no members of the public there. And not only that, but the SEAL Team 6 member will be lightly disguised in such a way it has been stipulated that the defense can still see facial expressions, which are, of course, important for the judge to see and the you know, lawyers to see uh, in the middle of direct examination and cross-ex, mm -hmm. but not so they can get a read. It, it's very theatrical. I mean, as Julian Assange put it to me, it's, it's turning it into a Broadway musical. But, of course, this is all this to set up a, a, a contrast between the heroic good soldier who iced bin Laden and then the ultimate bad soldier, Bradley Manning, who... Uh, released these thousands of documents to WikiLeaks and then via WikiLeaks to the New York Times, Der Spiegel, The Guardian, newspapers around the world. Uh -huh. Bradley Manning, who's just five foot two, right. he's gay, the ultimate bad soldier. The opposite of Sergeant Rock there that they're going to call and put on the stand, who is the um, <clears throat> represents all the greatness of America, I guess. So, yeah. uh, 
So basically what you're saying here, and who could disagree at this point, you say, uh, let's be clear on one thing, Manning, the young Army intelligence analyst who leaked thousands of public documents and passed them on the WikiLeaks, has done far more for U.S. national security than SEAL Team 6. Um, and it is political theater. What I don't understand, maybe you could give me some ideas here as a lawyer. Um, this is in front of a judge, not a jury, right? That's correct. So now, who are they no trying one... to impress? Mm-hmm. Well, they, I mean, part of it, it, it gets played out in the court of public opinion. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, and that's important. I mean, they, the, the prosecution knows that this is getting played up. And uh, they're also trying to bring in the ultimate bogeyman, the ultimate supervillain, Osama bin Laden, into this, mm-hmm. and, and just to remind people of that threat. Uh, and uh, this is also part of, the, of feeding the, the most serious charge against Private Manning, and that's aiding the enemy. Uh, that's a capital offense. And even though the Obama administration has made it clear they're not going to seek the death penalty. It still carries a possible life term in mm-hmm. prison. And uh, the, the way they're trying to, to prove that and establish that, that Manning aided the enemy is by showing that bin Laden had some WikiLeaks documents on his hard drive, on his laptop. Well, wait, wait. So I did, too. So could I get indicted for... Um... <laughs> I mean, well, it, there you go. I mean, it, all, all it, of course, it proves is that that uh, Bin Laden had access to an internet signal or or someone. So that's what he. That's what this man's going to testify to. Well, that that's what he's going to testify to, and it, it's <laughs> well, a bit like saying Nike shoes aided the enemy if they found a you know a closet full of vintage Air Jordans at the Bin Laden compound in Pakistan. Well, maybe it, maybe they did if they don't contribute enough next time to the campaign for Obama. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll see what happens. But uh, this this is the most serious of the twenty two charges against uh, Private Manning, mm-hmm. and if if it does stick. It will have horrible consequences, not just for the individual named Bradley Manning, but for journalism as we know it in the United States. And ultimately, it will lead to more foreign policy disasters. Here's why. Uh, Good journalism depends on confidential sources. That's nothing new. That's not part of the Internet age or the WikiLeaks moment. Mm -hmm. That's something uh, that's always been true. And leaks of classified material, they're about as common as dirt. They happen all the time. That's how we found out most of what we know about the Watergate Mm break-in, about the Vietnam War, about our drone strike program, officially classified. But it's through leaks. This will will make uh, any leak that is even tangentially related to national security, and the the connection does not have to be a strong one, into a capital offense. Mm. And it won't just have a chilling effect on on journalism. It will be more like dumping a truckload of liquid nitrogen uh, journalism. Isn't isn't this what uh, partially also what uh, Chris Hedges and some others sued in in, uh, federal court? And I think they had a little bit of a triumph at the at the district level about that section of the NDAA where mm-hmm. somebody like a journalist like Hedges and plenty of other people in the world for as you mentioned for a long long time make contact with these people just to get a story and yeah. they could be indicted for this right yeah material no, support it, it it speaks to that and uh, 
And again, you know, we would all love to live in a country where the government is honest and candid and doesn't hide things. But that that's not the world we live in. That's not the government we have. Until that changes, and I'm not expecting it anytime soon, we depend on leaks, uh, all of us. And that's, that's why the charge is is so important. The most serious of the charge is also the most ridiculous. Yeah, I would give it only a one out of three chance of sticking, though. Maybe I'm I'm overly optimistic, but I, I don't think it's going to take. Well, you know, I don't know. You know, I'm not a lawyer, uh, but on the other hand, it seems to me pretty obvious that it's going to be very, very difficult for them to prove that this man... Is there, so, is there also intent involved? In other words, do they yeah. have to prove intent on his part? Well, he, Here's the thing. Like like most really serious crimes, like Mm -hmm. say first-degree murder, there has to be some intent. Um, It's called the mens rea in long run. And uh, the the judge has softened the standard a bit, which I think is simply terrible. Instead of having a specific intent to aid the enemy – and the enemy here, by the way, it's not the U.S. public. It's not even WikiLeaks. It's just al-Qaeda and associates. Instead of just having the specific intent to aid al-Qaeda, it's just uh, the specific knowledge that al-Qaeda would benefit from the leaks. That's a tremendous leap in the law, isn't it? Yeah. That, no, it's it's a vaguely worded statute to begin with, oh, one oh. that you don't have to use very much, uh, you know, it, it, but it, it, the judge has uh, really chipped away at it and very dangerously. So even, I think there's there's real damage that's already been done, even without a conviction on this one charge. And, and I should say, even if this charge doesn't stick, Manning could still face a life in prison. I mean, like even without that, he's still looking at a, a, a possible total of 125 years. And this is also a message they'd be sending. This is what's going to happen to you if you so much as even blink in the wrong direction, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're making an object lesson of Manning. And uh, the the reasoning is this. There really is no information security to speak of. Uh, there certainly wasn't when Manning was stationed in, in Iraq and working in army intelligence there. And what we keep learning from the court-martial was that all the, the protocols and the rules designed to keep information secure, they were not enforced. They were purely theoretical. They were purely advisory. And in actual practice, they were violated, and these violations were condoned by the chain of command. Is that something that his lawyer can use for his defense? The, the lawyer is pushing that, and, uh, it, you know, it's not going to get him off, but it will uh, come into play when it's sentencing time, or at least it should, to point out just how selective this prosecution is. I mean, granted, no one else has been, uh, you know, releasing important documents like Bradley Manning did, but there was just no secur- security in the uh, in the skiff where Manning was working. Skiff, that's a sensitive compartmented information facility. Oh. And they're supposed to have, you know, all these procedures but to, to keep information secure. But instead, we've learned that you know, people leave their, their passwords written on Post-it notes stuck to the phone next to their computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are installing uh, executable files like games and media, major no-no. There are... Uh, you know, writable disk drives attached to these computers. That's a big no-no because that makes it easy to get to get data in and out of there, even though it's supposed to be secure. And that's what Manning famously did by uh, 
recording all the WikiLeaks files onto a CD-ROM, which he then labeled Lady Gaga. And uh, mm-hmm. so, so it was it was really not the hack of the century. It was in fact about as easy as microwaving popcorn. This whole leak is as important as it was. Well, but, obviously, uh, <clears throat> there's a couple. There's one other, uh, one or two other points in the, in the article that I'll get to in a second. But uh, first of all, it does seem to me that it's going to be very difficult uh, unless you want to turn the law totally upside down on its head and just say, you know, unless you want to just dispose of law entirely, but to prove that he aided the enemy, even in a broad way, I think it's going to be difficult. I mean, clearly, uh, his intention, as stated, is to uh, to help the foundation of democracy, you know. And the other thing is that you point out in your article is, uh, and, and we are learning now because of uh, Snowden and the NSA, is that there is over a million people, and the number keeps changing all the time, there could be a couple of million people in this country who have top secret clearance which tends to, this is a, to follow up on your earlier point, it tends to diffuse the violation if so many people mm-hmm. are are cleared, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the current number we have now is, is 1.4 million people with top-secret security clearance, 400,000 mm-hmm. of whom are private contractors like Edward Snowden. And, of course, how, how secret is anything if 1.4 million people can get at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's the population of Washington, D.C., or the population of Wyoming plus Nebraska, maybe throw in North Dakota as well. 1.4 I mean, million. But that's that's 400,000. That's 400 million, though, less than they spent at the NSA facility in Utah, as long as we're throwing numbers around, right? Yeah. 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 That was 1.8 billion. <laughs> Yeah, so. it, 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 it forces a question. I mean, what, who are we even kidding and pretending these things are secret? Now, of course, not everybody with top secret security clearance has access to everything with that status. A lot of stuff is compartmented. You can only get at it if you have a need-to-know basis. But there are ways to circumvent that that are pretty easy. And that's what Bradley Manning did, and that's how he was able to get those uh, quarter million uh, of diplomatic cables as well as the complete Iraq and Afghan War logs. So it, it's not hard to do. There, what we're finding out from Snowden uh, and what we found out from the Manning cases, there are very uh, just kind of theoretical legal barriers where people are told that they shouldn't do this. People mm-hmm. who work in intelligence or in, in surveillance, but they have the actual ability to to do things, and uh, there's no barrier there. And uh, you know, people being people, we know that these legal barriers are violated constantly. The, a couple of the important points you make in your in your article, you know, perhaps the most important is, uh, and it's entitled here, it's like a, a paragraph heading, The Wages of Cluelessness. Uh, is death, or could it be our death? I don't know. I, I took English a no, long time I, ago. I, I, I had a discussion with my editor, Tom Engelhardt, <laughs> about that, and I, I was trying to go for the King James Bible English, where the, you know, which is better, okay, better. and they say the wages of sin is death. So I, I insisted on sticking with that. But oh, always go with the Bible if you're in doubt. I, I'm, going, I'm going old school here, King yeah. James, you know. Because actually uh, that appeals to people. People get that sort of subconsciously more than if it's correct. Um, I, I'm hoping they do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wages of cluelessness is death. And so you make the point here, though, that, and this is such an essential point that you're making here, and I haven't seen this so often before, is that w- w- secrecy hurts all kinds of things. Certainly it, it destroys democracy, this kind of secrecy. It doesn't even, mm-hmm. com- it's not even compatible with any notion of democracy. But you're saying that it's also 
the cause of wars like this, or what it does is facilitate the ability of the government to declare these ruinous, immoral, insane wars because we don't know all these things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a point that I felt I, I really had to make. I mean, there are many reasons why I wrote this book about Bradley Manning. Uh, you know, part of it's it's a matter of principle. I see him as a as a tragic hero, as a kind of secular martyr for the cause of uh, the Enlightenment, for knowledge, for lack of a better way. But it, it is really an intensely practical matter, not just a matter of high-minded, noble ideals that we uh, that we know what our government is doing. When you don't know what your government is doing, you get disaster. Uh, when you make important, momentous decisions that are poorly informed and without the benefit of any relevant facts, it's it's no surprise that you wind up with catastrophe. You know, that's true if you're buying a used car or renting an apartment. And God knows it, it, we've, we've shown mm-hmm. that, that it's true when you're invading a sovereign nation mm-hmm. in the Middle East and you do it cluelessly. So I, I think it's important that people see that the real threat to our national security measured in blood and money, it's not the whistleblowers. It's not the leaks. It's not the Bradley Mannings and the Edward Stokes. It's the extreme levels of secrecy. The last count, Washington classified 92 million documents in the year 2011. Mm-hmm. And by way of perspective, what Manning leaked is not even 1% of that. It's this extreme level of government government secrecy that played a very large role in getting us into Iraq, which was, you know, much worse uh, for American security than even the 9-11 attacks in terms of the number of people it killed and the, and the, the cost. Well, so much of so many of this, uh, this has, an, has antecedents in our history. I mean, for instance, you mentioned uh, all the secrecy. Clearly, look at the Pentagon Papers, all the secrecy and all the violations of our Constitution that went into getting us into many different wars. You know, Vietnam, Korea, all kinds of things. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. this is this is something that, that can't be practiced. But also, it, it, interesting to me, too, as an, as an addendum to this, is that into this vacuum of cluelessness that you talk about is inevitably drawn money, power, and corporate interest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and we see this especially with uh, these... Uh, consulting agencies and contractors that uh, are picking up all the intelligence work that our government has outsourced, like Booz Allen Hamilton, mm-hmm. where Edward Snowden was working, you know, this 29-year-old guy making you know, really good money for a 29-year-old, $120,000 a year. That's not too shabby. Uh, but these uh, these contractors have a, a staff of uh, of former high government officials. It's Mike McConnell, who's the head of Booz Allen Hamilton's uh, cyber division that deals with uh, surveillance and, and intelligence collecting. And he's a former head of the NSA. He was the director of national intelligence for W. Bush, the very last one. Mm-hmm. And it's this revolving door that is uh, just intrinsically corrupt, and, and it leads to a lot of, of oh, a lot of money spent, a lot of rights being trampled, because you just have this incestuous world of uh, high government officials that going into gov- uh, to private sector, making a ton of money, and, and they, they just keep the pipeline of money. Well, then they, then they go trotting back. I don't have the details. I was talking last week to somebody from the Brennan Center about overclassification, and I think she mentioned James Clapper was from private industry, too. 
Right? Yeah. And, you know. yeah. But here, here's I, just today in the New York Times, there's an, an article, I think it's even a front page article, and I forget the man's name, maybe Kelly, who is the head of security for Facebook and is now working for the NSA. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, uh, the connection with these two things has got to be mentioned. I mean, there's always the bottom. Booz Allen Hamilton made $5.6 billion. Well, that's, you know, the, I don't know what their profit was, but that's what they took in. Almost 99% of their money comes from our taxes. Yeah. You know, it's extraordinary. And so as far as getting back to Bradley Manning, um, I guess everybody assumes that when the sentencing comes, whatever mitigating factors, he's going to be spending most of the rest of his life in jail, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid that's the case. And uh, I, I expect a sentence, even without the aiding the enemy charge sticking, so I, I still think it probably won't. I think he'll be getting a sense of 40 to 50 years. Mm. Now, there is a military version of parole and called good time serve. But even that isn't going to shave too much off. And I think uh, getting clemency for Bradley Manning, which is what he deserves for the great patriotic service that he's, he's done for our country, that's going to be a long-term effort. And uh, Well, especially I, when the president has already said that he thinks more or less that he's guilty. So he, he said it outright. He said, hey, he broke the law. That's what President Obama said when he was well, oh, let me ask you, by activists. Let me ask you this question as a lawyer. Uh, and if you just tuned in, you're listening to uh, Chase Madar, who uh, is an attorney in New York, and he's blogging uh, the Bradley Manning Court Martial for The Nation magazine. He is also the author of The Passion of Bradley Manning, the story behind the WikiLeaks whistleblower, which is out in a new expanded edition uh, by Verso Books. Um, if this is a military court, the commander-in-chief of the military is the president, Correct. That's right. Now, if he says that the guy is guilty, uh, shouldn't the case be thrown out immediately? Well, there's an argument to be made that it could. It certainly is undue command influence. Uh, I mean, I, I, there's, it's hard to imagine any judge, military judge, actually doing that, though. And just as it's hard to imagine any military judge throwing out the case, even though Manning's first 11 months were in punitive isolation against strict the medical advice of the military's own doctors and psychiatrists, and even though the judge determined that some of this confinement was illegal. I mean, that's just a judicial fact now. Well, what, but, so, but I, I don't understand this. What if this was a regular court? Well, let's say in New York City, where I live as well as you do, um, uh, the Duke of New York, Mr. Bloomberg, mm -hmm. if, if, if the mayor of New York City um, they, they apprehend somebody for an alleged shooting, let's say, of a policeman, you know, and uh, they haven't proved it. And the case goes to court. But he says right after the arrest, this man deserves the death penalty or deserves to be in jail the rest of his life. He's guilty. If the mayor of New York says that, uh, I'm trying to find some correspondence. I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't that influence a jury? It's, uh, I mean, it, it does. It's prejudicial. It, it, but you'll find that even at the municipal level that DAs and politicians say things like that with some frequency. They mm -hmm. don't say alleged. They, they leave that out. And they, they often, you know, just assume that people are guilty and then flap their lips about it. So I, see, I, see the I, I think it's bad that Obama said that. Mm -hmm. I, I do have to say, even without that, the, uh, the outcome would be pretty much the same here at the Manning trial. So um, obviously everybody is making um, associations between what Bradley Manning did. Let me be devil's advocate just for a moment here. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I have a, one of my listeners. I get lots of emails and everything from my listeners all the time, you know, from all the shows I do. One of them is a particularly 
intelligent, uh, you know, and very good at reasoning and logic, and he's, his heart's in the right place. He has a son and a daughter, and he wrote me this long email. He called up on SiriusXM the other night. He has a son and a daughter, both of whom work at a sort of mid-level at the State Department, have, tra- have been all over the world, Saudi Arabia and other places. They told him that some of the things that the State Department does behind channels um, are something... Like, for instance, they'll talk to people about human trafficking who would never open up their mouths unless they thought they were going to be protected and it's confidential. And he goes on and on and on about all the harm that Manning did without thinking about it by letting out all these states. If he was upset about the war in Iraq, why let all this other stuff out? So what's your response to that? Well, first of all, we should recognize that uh, of the the quarter million State Department cables that were released, none of them is top secret. I mean, they and half of them, more than half of them, are not classified at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Has any harm come out of them? I think that's an entirely legitimate question to ask, an important question to ask. Uh, But three years since these diplomatic cables were released, no one has been able to point to any major concrete damage or really any minor concrete damage that was done by the leaks. And if you're going to accuse someone of damaging national security or harming national interests, you've got to have concrete evidence. I mean, that's a serious charge, and Mm -hmm. all serious charges demand serious evidence. yeah, it, it's true that two American ambassadors were recalled when their uh, you know off-the-record statements came out through WikiLeaks. I don't see that as a great tragedy. Uh, they were recalled from Mexico and Ecuador, two countries that we have increasingly fraught relations with, uh, in large part because those countries are sick of being bossed around by the American embassies. Mm-hmm. It's happened for decades and decades. Uh, we know of one Ethiopian journalist who had to leave his country in a hurry, but he has also been on the record in saying that the, the same thing could have happened even without uh, WikiLeaks, mm-hmm. just because the, the climate, the political climate for journalists in Ethiopia is not really that terrific, as you can imagine. Hey, you so know- three- Three years later, we don't see real damage. On the other hand, we've learned a hell of a lot from the State Department cables, and I think that's been had real concrete benefits. Uh, and, and you point out in your article, I think, about how, <clears throat> and it's clear that the State Department, this is not news to anybody who follows these things, are basically traveling salesmen, usually, for big pharma or agriculture or other corporations. Yes. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, that's important to know that, to, that our State Department is acting as a lobbyist for garment manufacturers in Haiti, uh, you know, uh, you know, con- you know, big corporate garment manufacturers to keep the Haitian minimum wage down. You know, that's just morally repulsive, even if it is perfectly legal for the State Department to do that or for the State Department to act as a lobbyist for big pharmaceutical companies and the kind of patent law regime that favors them in Europe. I mean, mm-hmm. that, none of that benefits me or my family. I think most Americans are not helped by that at all. So we need to know about this and, and to say that, oh, well, uh, you know, we, we can't know the truth because that's going to hurt people. That's a kind of emotional blackmail. And mm-hmm. in the three years since these leaks have come out, no one's been able to show concrete harm. And uh, 
Again, I, I'm not saying that there should be total transparency. I yeah, I, I wanted to ask. Would say that. I wanted to ask and you the, about that because it, there's. That, a, I'm sorry, there was one line here. I'm sorry. There may be a time you say and a place for secrecy, even duplicity and statecraft. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, it, it, for sure. I mean, there is a time and a place for secrecy in in diplomacy and in statecraft. I, nobody wants nuclear launch codes floating around. But it, but it's important to just retain a sense of, of perspective here, uh, which very few American intellectuals have, I think, when it comes to WikiLeaks and Bradley Manning. What Bradley Manning leaked is less than 1% of what Washington classifies in a given year. It has not been a kind of blinding Klieg light that's paralyzed diplomacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, not in the least. Everything is going on as it did before. I hope a little bit better. But we, we need more public input and public public involvement and public knowledge when it comes to U.S. foreign policy. Uh, I get that diplomats don't like being supervised and don't like having, you know, their jobs out in the open for all to see, you know, but no other professional group does this. Orthopedic surgeons think that they should be exempt from all supervision. So do police departments. Mm -hmm. But guess what? I mean, if you're working in society, you've got to deal with with the rest of society, and uh, especially given that American statecraft over the past dozen years has been such a disaster, too. It's not like there's this great record of success that Bradley Manning and WikiLeaks are somehow following up. Far from it. I mm-hmm. mean, it's a record of disaster after disaster. I mean, if any private employee screwed up that badly, they would be fired on the spot, or at the very least put under heavy additional supervision. Well, even even a CEO whose company hit the rock so badly over and over again would have been dumped by the board of directors. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and, and that's, but that's the gift of WikiLeaks and of Bradley Manning. We can finally give our foreign policy elites a little bit of the supervision that they have shown uh, that they very badly need. And, and that's it. Well, so uh, I appreciate your sticking around for that long. Uh, it's, I know you're busy in the middle of your day there. Um, so the, the trial is going on now. How often are you, are, are you down there at all at Fort Meade? Or how, I, I've been down there a little. I was down there last week, and I'll be going this coming week. It moves at a pretty slow pace, mm-hmm. and usually just for you know, two and a half, three days per week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's slowly building uh, cases and, and a defense. The prosecution is, is slowly building its case, you know, trying to prove that Bradley Manning knew that what he was doing would help al-Qaeda. They're really going for everything. Again, I don't expect this aiding the enemy charge to succeed, but the prosecution it has invested so much in it, they're just not letting it go. Mm-hmm. But, uh, regardless, even without this charge sticking, Bradley Manning is really in, in a heap of trouble. And, and getting clemency for him will be a long-term effort. It's going to be an international effort, too. Uh, a lot of people around the world pay attention to this. I just did a book tour in the United Kingdom, and I was very pleasantly surprised at how well-informed people were over there about this case. Well, I'm sure people are more well-informed about what goes on in this country routinely than we are in this country. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's something that's pretty – that's another part of all this, too. It's yeah. the, you know, Anyhow. Yeah. Listen, so th- thanks for coming on, and uh, you'll be uh, including reports in the nation from time to time, then, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll be continuing to post on the nation's website about this and in the magazine, too. Okay. Well, great talking with you, yeah. Mike. Thanks for coming on, and um, I appreciate that you're doing this, I mean, in, in terms of uh, opening it all up.
you know. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Take care, Mike. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Yep. Uh, every every step you take, everything you do, they're watching you all the time. This is Mike Fader on PRN.FM, the station for politics, health, and just about anything else you can imagine. Check out all the other shows. Uh, take a look at our broadcasters, at our um, at our various shows here on PRN.FM. It's uh, a really good station and getting better all the time. Uh, this show, Occupy Territory America, is on every Thursday at 2 p.m. And as I mentioned frequently, and I'll do it again, we have a sort of a... A brother or sister um, show that goes on in a written fashion. It's on a Facebook page, Occupied Territory on Facebook. And I post a lot of this. And any responses you have to these shows, uh, feel free to uh, put them on Occupied Territory. Um, I'll tell you, here's a little interesting tidbit of in, in case you didn't know this, and maybe most people don't know this. The uh, Bradley Manning is being charged at, he's being charged and tried, and uh, the, the trial is going forward at Fort Meade inside Fort Meade, in, uh, outside of Baltimore in Maryland. Uh, guess what else uh, is stationed and situated inside Fort Meade in Maryland? The headquarters of the NSA. The headquarters of the NSA, uh, the center of government spying on all Americans. Now, I, often, you know, people who do the kind of show I do get accused of exaggeration. Uh, how often can you say something without really being accused of exaggeration? In this case, there is no exaggeration. The government of the United States, and I don't say the government, our, I can't I never say, and I make a point of this all the time, I can't say our government. Do you consider the people in Washington or the military or the NSA or the CIA or the president or his, um, his um, department heads or his agency heads or even members of Congress, do you consider them, these people, your government at all anymore? I don't. I haven't for a long, long time. I mean, since Vietnam, here and there you see spurts of decency. You see the church committee. You see good candidates. You see people overcoming uh, absurd uh, laws. You see even the Supreme Court the other day did the right thing for a change, and they uh, voted 7-2 to two in a case that uh, no biotech company or pharmaceutical company, no company like that, could patent a human gene. So, for instance... And this is, this is uh, something that I'm trying to link together here. For instance, there were companies, and this is what, partially what was involved in the lawsuit, there were companies, there are companies, that patented um, certain uh, genetic traits, certain DNA that they discovered. And one of the, thing, one of the genes they discovered was uh, the genetic component in people that causes or prevents uh, breast cancer. And they patented it. 
and the government granted this to them, right? As uh, and patents and trademarks, it has to be absolutely original. I did uh, I did time. <laughs> I did a couple of years in a patent and trademark firm before I was let out for good behavior as a paralegal. It has to be original or you don't get a patent for it. In other words, if you come up with mouse ears, you're not going to get a patent for it. You might even get sued for patent infringement because Walt Disney Company invented those, et cetera, et cetera. But these people doing a lot of research, right, to, uh, to create a drug or to create a treatment, whatever, that would help people discover if they had the, the gene or an inherited gene for uh, breast cancer so that they could get treated either uh, preventable, you know, like preventive treatment or they could get treated or it would help people treat them for breast cancer. It could save people's lives, right? Save hundreds of thousands of people's lives, women's lives. And um, they patented it. Why? Well, why not? To make money. To make money, right? So to make to make hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars, to charge people an expensive amount of money for a procedure or a drug, money that people can't barely afford anymore, that a lot of people don't even have. So people can die and routinely die in the thousands in this country, probably every day, certainly every week, for lack of ability uh, to receive decent medical care, certain tests they need, and certainly drugs that are far too expensive for the average person to receive. To, to afford, and for health insurance companies to reimburse because they're all private health insurance companies. The connection here is profit, 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 profit. Profit is as bad a word as murder and rape. There is something essentially wrong. There's something bone deep, uh, earth deep about profit that is wrong. <laughs> it's wrong, and it's what drives everything else that's wrong. People talk about income inequality. Yes, that's one of the flowers of the profit plant. And profit means greed. Profit means greed. And you say, well, what about small businesses? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, you, I mean, I understand that. I, I had a book business until I got a little too uh, rickety in my uh, joints to uh, be buying and carrying and searching through several tons of used books every uh, month, you know, to find out what I could sell. But I had a small business, you know, and I made small money from my small business. But, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I love to do this. I like to make furniture. Let's put it in the best possible light. I like to make furniture or I like to make uh, wine uh, or beer that I can brew out in my, uh, you know, in basement in Brooklyn. I can sell it. And I'm so proud of it. I like to grow certain things and I like people to and I want people to buy them. In other words, you love to do something so much and you feel like it's going to contribute to other people's happiness or it's going to help people uh, or people will get something they want, then, and you can make a living from it. What a great thing, right? Uh, but this, well, I'm not talking about that so much. Is what I'm talking about is the, the drive to, uh, to get rich, uh, to have m- so much more than you need that obscene doesn't even cover it, right? That's what I'm talking about. And places like this, and it's all related to this uh, stuff we were talking about, Bradley Manning and everything. This company, Booz Allen Hamilton, is a private security company. It's a private security company that specializes in tech, uh, technological security, right? Uh, internet and phones and taps and everything else, right? So they made, now, over the last couple of years, five point, or was it in one year last year? I think I, I forget the exact details. 
billion dollars was brought in to them. And of course it was brought in because the people at the top of this company have for many, many years, now, something like 10 years, um, been members, uh, high-level members, if not the actual directors of the NSA and the CIA and other places. And then after a few years that they put in over there, they may actually go back and get appointed by some other president to be yet the head again of the NSA and CIA. It's the most incestuous thing in the world. The revolving door that you see with the FCC, the FDA, and all these other agencies, where the heads of these agencies or subheads of various departments of these agencies spend most of their life as um, lobbyists or attorneys or presidents of companies that make tremendous profit from the federal government, from other people, or from, uh, from products that the federal government should regulate in the name of and for the safety of the people. It's a completely corrupt government. Our government is as corrupt as any government on earth. I mean, there's some pretty damn corrupt governments. I mean, Putin's Russia is one large mafia organization, right? Totally corrupt. But, uh, and the Chinese government is utterly corrupt. And a lot of our allies, there's corruption throughout France. There's corruption in Germany. Every week you pick up the paper in someplace in Brazil now, there, there are Tens of thousands of people protesting, all of the hundreds of thousands of people protesting in Brazil as we speak now, or as I speak, uh, complaining about government corruption. There's corruption everywhere. So you say, well, is this human nature? Is it human nature? Should we just give up and let bad people always run things, always own things? I mean, you had Dick Cheney is accusing this guy Snowden, Edward Snowden, who released the uh, this the NSA spying documents and has more stuff to release. You have Dick Cheney appearing on national television, telling the entire country and the entire world that uh, Snowden is a traitor, that he's an enemy of the United States. The worst enemy that the United States has ever had beyond Osama bin Laden, beyond anybody for the last 15, 20 years is Richard Cheney, the dick. This dick Cheney is the worst enemy. He is a traitor to everything that America stands for or should stand for. He is a traitor to democracy. He is a traitor to decency. He is a traitor to everything that's valuable and good in humanity and American democracy. This man should be in jail for the rest of his life chopping rocks on a road gang somewhere. And now that he's got a fake heart, he can do it forever and nothing will happen to him. He can't have a heart attack anymore. He doesn't have a heart. <laughs> this is a man, and I hate to say things like this because it's bad. You know, everybody's connected. There's a karmic connection uh, between everybody and everything. You know, I put my hand on the newspaper right here. This was, a, this was part of a tree once grown somewhere, right? The ink is made by workers somewhere in some other country. I don't know. Everything you touch, everything you see is connected. And so you don't really want to say really terrible things about other people. But if there's anybody that deserves to have something terrible said about him, it's a guy like Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, who was either the vice president or the president of Halliburton, a pipeline company and an oil company, oil machinery and oil equipment company. And, uh, you know, relationship to to Bush, you know, who, who was the head of an oil company, the older Bush. And, uh, of course, the younger Bush, who's related to all these people. Cheney, um, 
is a guy, for instance, he, to this day, he has never given up documents of a secret meeting. Dick Cheney had a secret meeting while he was the president. And, you know, he wasn't the vice president. He was the president. When Dick Cheney was president, along with the Howdy Doody, whoever was actually sitting in the White House there, Dick Cheney had a meeting in the vice president's uh, residence uh, or office building, wherever it was. I think it was his residence of the heads of some of the major or most of the major energy companies in the United States. This is stuff, uh, you know, you, everything in your house, everything you do, you know, you, everywhere you go, on the bus, the train, you drive your car, things that happen in your house. If you go to a hospital, anywhere you go for anything, it needs energy to, uh, to survive. You need energy to survive in your house. You know, you know heat, light, uh, you know, a phone and a hospital, you know, power to keep everything going so they can perform operations, so they can give transfusions. Te- you name it. it. It involves energy. Dick Cheney, when he was the president of the United States, when he ran the United States officially, not even unofficially, he, um, he had a meeting in the vice president's residence of the major energy, uh, the leaders of the major energy companies in this country, and they are some of the biggest companies in the world. They fixed the market prices. They set prices. Everybody who has any brains at all understands that they had a meeting uh, to set prices and to fix prices of energy in this, co- in this country so that all of us who desperately uh, need all of this for survival – just to do anything. Like this radio station would work without energy. Nothing would work without energy. We have to pay that much more of what little money we now earn, if we earn any money at all since everybody's laid off. We have to pay even more of our regular money to these obscenely rich people and rich companies who make ridiculous profits and sometimes don't even pay taxes on them. General Electric, as I've mentioned before, one of the largest companies in the entire world, paid less in taxes last year and the year before than you did. Did you pay $10 in tax, 1000 1600 whatever in taxes? You paid more than the General Electric Company. One of the reasons for this is because people in the government are owned by corporations, and they are the heads of corporations. So Cheney meets with these people, and... Uh, clearly, something really awful was going on. Most people who took a look at it and examined it uh, saw that he was meeting with energy company heads to fix uh, energy prices in this country uh, for God knows how long. Maybe even now, you know, they're, they're still a result of this fixing that went on there. He refused when Congress, who are made up of the people who represent us in Washington, Congress, uh, the president is uh, kind of an emperor who lives in the White House, right? He is not, he's not the people's representative of anything. He's kind of a, a corporate uh, executive who, uh, you know, who might as well just be sitting on the boards of directors of international corporations and banks and oil companies. And he sits in the White House like an emperor and like a tyrant, declares wars all by himself, invades other countries. Thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people get killed, murdered, wounded. Uh, displaced millions of refugees because the president of the United States waves his hand or picks up the phone and tells people to do it. So he's just an emperor. But you think of Congress and you say, these people are supposed to be, they're called representatives, the House of Representatives, right? They're supposed to represent us. A subcommittee of uh, either a House subcommittee or a Senate subcommittee demanded the records. Uh, They just wanted to know who was at the meeting. They told the vice president of the United States, and this person is supposed to be, you know, subject to the will of Congress, who are our true representatives that make it a democracy. They said to him, we want a list of the people who were there, and we would like to know what you talked about. And he said, up yours, take a walk, 
he just turned, he just looked at them and in his astoundingly arrogant and contemptuous way, he told you and me and all the people in the United States to go screw themselves. If he wants to manipulate energy prices, he can do it. And to this day, those documents simply saying who was at the meeting and what they discussed have never been released. The head of Booz Allen Hamilton is the former head of the NSA. These people are making hundreds of billions of dollars off of us, these private contractors. Um, They are making hundreds of billions of dollars in profit. All these corporations, these energy companies, drug companies, everybody, and people at the head of the FDA go to work as the vice president of uh, some huge drug company. Somebody who is the head of the FCC and who represents all of our interests in terms of what goes on in the airways, who gets a license, how much things cost, how much cable. You know, the, I'm, I have Time Warner cable, you know, in where I live in Manhattan. It's a monopoly. The prices are outrageous. They raise them any way and in any fashion they want. Health insurance companies raise deductibles and they raise um, copays as much as they want any time they want. And they make people's lives miserable and they break people's lives. They deny medical coverage that can save people's lives. People die because of health insurance companies, witless morons and uh, duplicitous CEOs and people who are in charge actually deny coverage or tell you that uh, you don't deserve coverage. All of this is profit, profit, profit. Everywhere you look, in Brazil right now, there are hundreds of thousands of people enraged because the government of Brazil, and believe me, the government of any country that you can name, just name a country, the government of any one of these countries is subservient to a larger international corporate government. This is becoming clear as crystal now, which is why everybody in the world, in every country, and it's heartening to see this, It's heartening to see. I mean, it's difficult to come up with an optimistic viewpoint when you look at the news these days. Here's an optimistic viewpoint. In Greece, in England, in Brazil, in Turkey, people are sick to death. The people are sick to death of the corporate tyrants that run every country, uh, every every country in this in this on this planet. They are meeting now G8 meeting in Berlin. These people are meeting to decide who gets invaded, who gets charged what, and where the oil flows and where the energy comes from and what you're going to pay for everything and whether you'll have a job or whether you'll eat tainted food or genetically modified food. It's none of your goddamn business. You're just a human being. There's a uniting factor here. Right in front of me, I have an article from the New York Times. The uh, the Philadelphia school district is laying off, absolute, they're laying off uh, 20% of their workforce uh, right now for, come for the coming year. Uh, 127 assistant principals, 646 teachers, 1,200 aides. No nurses, no counselors, no people monitoring the playground, nobody to cook food in a cafeteria, nothing. No, no, no supervision, no, uh, you know, defining what courses are like. Just the principals and some of the teachers. They're laying everybody off. There's no money to pay to educate children in Philadelphia or to give them help if they're feeling bad or to feed them or to monitor on the playground or to have security guards so some predator doesn't walk right into the school. No more, not in Philadelphia. But we could spend $1.8 billion goddamn dollars so that the government can spy on us? In the streets of Brazil now, hundreds of thousands of people are saying, what, you want to spend $2 billion? Or $5 billion to build stadiums that no one will ever use afterwards for the coming Olympics? Screw that. 
What about fixing the transit system? What about cutting the bus fare? What about having a government that isn't filled with corrupt individuals, like in Brazil, like in every country? The whole country, this is what I say is heartening, all over the world, unfortunately, except the United States, which I don't understand, although I have some ideas, is rising up in China, in Brazil, in Russia, even in, and, and these are places where people beat people over the head. They murder people. The army is called out. Pepper spray, forget about it. Occupy, the stuff that happened with Occupy was uh, kid stuff compared to what the military does. They'll disappear you in these countries. They'll shoot you down like a dog. And yet, hundreds of thousands, millions of people all over the world, even in China, are turning out, except in this country. What is wrong with the United States? The people of the world clearly see that the world is owned and run, uh, owned and run by several thousand very, very rich people, dictators, corporate heads, and presidents, and they're sick of it. And in this country, what do we do? We watch the Miss USA contest. We uh, we watch TV. We play with our little devices. And meanwhile, every once in a while, they cut out a few of us from the herd, cook us, and eat us. How long is this going to go on? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. All right. That's it for today. Fort Meade, head of the NSA, the, the, the headquarters of the NSA, where they're trying Bradley Manning. The, the Chinese have a term called feng shui. Did you ever hear of this? Yeah, before, this is a thing that doesn't happen anymore, obviously. But what they used to do is if they wanted to build a house somewhere, they would call in a special person who had the ability to tell if that ground was bad ground, if there was a demon there. And they say, if there's a demon there, you're going to have to build your house somewhere else. So they say, that's a good place to build a house. It's benevolent here. The forces of the earth are benevolent here. If somebody called in a feng shui expert for Fort, where Fort Meade is, they would say, this is the worst place on earth. And then they move over to Washington, D.C. and said, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. This is the worst place on earth. What are we going to do? Can't you?